<clears throat> Sad to say, I don't have any review slides today. Because I know, I know, uh, falling down on the job. I uh, we're, we're starting a new a new series, and it it actually came from a question that Becky had, and uh, that Jen or Becky agreed with, and that Jen had last week. And it has to do with the concept of justice. So, um, sort of the lead-in is, what is justice and what role should it play in our expectations of today and in the age to come? And keep in mind that we are looking at the age to come. You know, in other words, what does that all mean and stuff? So, uh, I believe I'm set up for this. And if you were, um, so, uh, if you guys read the text, I'm going to ask you to share what your definition of justice is, and then I'll write them down. Fair treatment. Okay, somebody else? Jesus. You think, all right, yeah, that's your definition of justice is Jesus. <laughs> I would have a hard time arguing with that, Kelsey. Anybody else? I mean, it's, anybody else is not an optional question. I'm just next. That's what I should be saying. We're going to try to get through a number of us. What God knows to be true. Okay. Explain how that's justice. If something is not true, it's usually a form of injustice. Like um, telephone if, poles are made of paper mache? Yeah. Or even if people are lying, that's a form of injustice. It I is? Believe. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Um, I think it's... Um, Deliverance. Deliverance? Yeah. The, which would be um, del being delivered from that, which, that, that whatever, whatever's, whatever um, is keeping me again, keeping me from the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, the deliverance of that is to me is justice. Can I say a person? Yeah. Okay. Because if judgment is against, is anything that comes is anything of sin that's judgment is coming against the sin. Mm -hmm. Once that's removed, being delivered from that. Yeah, the, the deliverance yeah. is an interesting aspect. I mean, you could you know, like for instance, you think about the people that were caught in the concentration camps or in the the, the Jewish uh, imprisonment. Their deliverance certainly would was a manifestation of justice for sure. Okay, so this is um, it would be the administration of the law in our society. And are you limiting it to the society? I am mostly yeah, because I think it's okay. Administration of law, Jen. I've looked at it as like an accounting for something. Reckoning, accounting of... Accounting, reckoning? Yeah, those I, are just the words that come to mind. Is there a C there? Yep. R-E-C-K. What do you guys think of my handwriting? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica. Restoring someone or something to, um, to like the Lord's original design. Okay. Yes, sir kind of dovetails on that one, but this is kind of a term of law. It's being made whole. Okay. Okay. Jesus getting what he deserves. Okay. 
Okay. Doubled. Um, making the wrong things right. Which, I mean, I guess is a little bit black and white, but... No, that's okay. Yeah. Anybody on Zoom? Definition of justice? Your definition of justice? Anybody else in the room? Okay. Well, I think those, those are, are pretty good. They cover a, a full spectrum. Fair treatment. Jesus. Uh, what God knows to be true. That, that deserves some exploration. Deliverance. And from what, in particular, from whatever's keeping you. Administration of law. Accounting or reckoning. Restoring one or something to God's original design. Being made whole. Jesus getting what he deserves, making wrong. It's an expression I don't usually use, but when things are right as rain. Did that stir anything in anybody? How about that? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. David, any thought on justice? Definition? Tom, Tommy? Anybody? All right, cool. Well, that's helpful. That's really good, guys. Um, so let me uh, show you, and we can come back to this because this will save it. Uh, fair treatment, Jesus, what God knows to be true, deliverance from whatever is keeping a person from the knowledge of Christ, the administration of law, accounting, reckoning, restoring someone to, uh, or something to God's original design, being made whole, Jesus getting what he deserves, making wrong things right, and when things are right is rain. So we'll probably run across some of those words tonight if I remember my PowerPoint, <laughs> which I do. All right, so here's some thoughts uh, from a, a couple of guys that I really respect. Uh, I'm not trying to be insulting, saying that they're wiser than you. I mean that about me, but I did put us, so probably they are a little bit wiser than us in some respect, especially one of them, he, he lived a long time ago. So N.T. Wright from a book called Broken Signposts. Now, <clears throat> what the book Broken Signposts is about are about half a dozen or eight things, I think, that are intrinsic and sort of universally understood by people. Uh, and they stir stuff in us, and there's assumptions and expectations about them, but they present challenges. And I would say that you could imagine that justice would do that. As a matter of fact, justice is the first chapter in the book by N.T. Wright. And this is how, how uh, he talks about justice. The instinct for justice, in other words, runs deep. You don't have to have a master's degree in philosophical ethics to know what it's all about. It's a universal human sense. That isn't right. Something needs to be done to put it right. We all know it, but we all find that putting right is difficult. Here's the problem. We all know justice matters, but we all find it difficult or sometimes downright impossible to achieve it. So it's kind of a, a source of, of frustration, but everybody kind of has that sense that's not right. That's not right. And then this is from George MacDonald. This is from uh, his uh, sermon, Justice, in Volume 3 of the Unspoken Sermons. He says, Let us endeavor to see plainly what we mean when we use the word justice, and whether we mean what we ought to mean when we use it, especially with reference to God. For his justice is the live, active justice giving existence to the idea of justice in our minds and in our hearts. Because he is just, we are capable of knowing justice. 
It is because he is just that we have the idea of justice so deeply embedded in us. So in one way, he's saying something similar to to what N.T. Wright said, but he tracks it back directly to the person of God. And so because George MacDonald said that so well, I don't have to put one of those little icons up that say spirit, fire, <laughs> light, and love. Uh, but do you see what he's saying? This thing in us, uh, the concept of justice is even legitimate to think about and talk about and to, to, to ponder and work with because it flows out of God. Well, and the last part in N.T. Wright's uh-huh. second paragraph about it being downright impossible to achieve is, and I believe this, is because here on earth, you know, in the domain of man, justice is reactive, right? We don't, we react to something that happened, you know, it may be 20 minutes ago yeah. or it may be two years ago. And sometimes justice takes a long time to mm-hmm. achieve. And it's our own definition of what that justice means for whatever we're reacting to. Right, right. So the, the, that's an interesting thought. The, the idea that it, justice is reactive. In other words, that you can have a relationship with somebody where there's not a need for any recognizable justice until something goes wrong, right? Until there's, until the that's not right. Now, uh, I'm not sure that Wright would address it in his, in, in, in his chapter, but boy, I'll tell you, in George McDonald, he does exactly. He says, so somebody, if somebody steals my watch, uh, then if they get caught and they get punished, is that justice? How does that help my watch? Or, you know, and, and he just gets into that idea that the reactive nature of what we do here, and he didn't use the word reaction, but it was in response to how is, how is this justice in response to my, and it's, it's pretty powerful. So that's a great thought, Dave. That's a great thought. Yeah, right. So those brought up a thought in me that we serve a just God or God is just. That's how I believe. Mm-hmm. And if God is in me, therefore there is a sense of justice in me mm-hmm. that's how like with nt right saying i know it when i see it and i need it or want it to be mm-hmm. but i can sure tell when it's not there yeah so it's hard it maybe hard to define but it's part of me i think because god's part of me yeah i think so i think so i would say also that because god's part of us that we have a capacity to be just and to render justice ourselves. We'll probably explore that more. This isn't going to... I was thinking maybe I could just knock this out one night. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, not giving it justice. Right, right. Uh, it, that would not be giving it justice, yes. And uh, Any other thoughts before I move on from this one? Okay. All right, so here are the English language... Uh, I'm not saying it's the exhaustive. This is just from Merriam-Webster online. But I like to throw these up because they usually reveal something about why we struggle with stuff uh, when you try to really distill the terms down. So the first one is the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards and punishments. Now, I... Raise your hand if that sort of makes sense as a definition. It does to me. I mean, I can see where it came from. Uh, raise your hand. Uh, let's see, how would I say this? 
Okay, raise your hand if you think it exhaustively defines justice. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it, it misses that mark by a long, a long way, right? Because uh, it, it's reactive for one thing. Uh, as, as you said, it comes after the fact. It kind of projects that it says maintenance or administration of what is just, but it, the, the whole idea of assignment of merited rewards or punishment puts it as, as a response to something that's going on. Then there's a whole section of them about judge. You know, there's the definition of a, a like a Supreme Court justice. Um, and then there's the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. Uh, we got fair up on the board. And, and so just is also another word that comes up all the time. And of course, it's a part of that. And I'm not going to have time to break down the word justice biblically the way I, I mean, just the way I am trying to do tonight on justice. But there is something about being just. And I agree with you, Ronnie. I think that God is just. And, um, it, it's a, it's a character quality. And I think that we, make a little bit of a mistake or set ourselves up for confusion when we elevate the concept of justice above the fact that God himself is just. And I do think that we have the tendency to elevate justice as an objective above the recognition of justness in God. So you can just keep that in mind. This is kind of what my initial looking at it. Um, the principle of dealing uh, or just dealing or right actions, conformity to this principle or ideal. Righteousness is an interesting word that it's a part of the secular definition. You'll see why when we look at uh, at the biblical words behind it. And the quality of conforming to law. I think that's kind of along the lines of what Vicky said. And then conformity to truth, fact, or reason, correctness. And there were some definitions. Uh, that one on the bottom uh, would be like a professor saying, well, there's justness in that answer, or there's justness in that essay, or something along those lines. Um, so that's kind of the... I To me, looking at these helped reinforce why there is a little bit of ambiguity. Uh, you, take a, you take justice and you attach it to another concept, like social justice. And then it means so many things, because it's it's in reaction to those modifiers, or uh, racial justice, or political justice, or all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so anyway, just and one who judges, the concept of righteousness and the concept of fair. Uh, and, and, and show me, uh, how many feel like fairness should be a component of understanding justice. Okay? How many feel like fairness is too sort of personal and subjective? Like, that's not fair kind of idea. Okay, all right. So we've got to work through that a little bit. Because I had some thoughts on both sides of that question. Okay. So here we go again on a word. This sort of surprised me, to tell you the truth. Um, so these are doing uh, those searches. Now, these are just word searches. They're not the, what's the book called, Ronnie? The Englishman's Concordance, the one where we search up the actual Greek or Hebrew word, remember? 
No, never mind. Yeah, the blue the blue letter Bible do it. All right, but these are, that's not what this is. That comes in a minute. This is searching for the word justice. Justice. So the New American Standard, which is the Bible that my computer defaults when I search to, because I use it for study most of the time, there are 129 uh, references to the words justice, word justice in the Old Testament, just that form, and there are nine in the New Testament. Surprisingly to me, for some reason, but the more I thought about it, I thought it was interesting, the King James Version has only 28 references to justice. And it has no references to the word justice in the New Testament. Uh, the Young's Literal has only eight references, English references to justice, in the Old and in the New. The Complete Jewish Bible has 142 in the Old, 22 in the New. The Living Bible, Vicki, the Living Bible has 115 in the Old Testament, 12 in the New. The New Living Bible is amazing to me, and I hope I, I've got my notes up here. If we have time, I'm going to read a couple of things that they translated as justice. Uh, but 149 in the Old Testament and 22, that's the one that's got the highest count across the board. And then the NIV has 118 Old Testament, 16 New Testament. And Holman Christian Standard has 137 Old Testament, 13 New Testament. The big uh, one that seems like a contrast to me and, and was kind of a mystery until I dug into it was the comparison between the NASB and the King James, New American Standard and the King James. So we're going to look at detail in that. But... Um, We'll dig in and see what accounts for this dramatic separation. It reminded me of when I was looking for help and, uh, and how, um, you know, the King James was the, the leading the charge there, translating um, the various words uh, like grave, sheol, and stuff like that. But uh, it's, it's the other translations and then the New American Standard that really kind of uh, led that out a lot. So... Let's see what's going on. So here's the biblical words in the Old Testament. The first one is mishpat. Does anybody remember the word mishpat? It was the, the first Old Testament word we looked at about judgment in the Old Testament. And so it does primarily mean and is primarily translated judgment. Then there are these three words which are all related to one another. A sedek, sedekwa, and Sadak, and they all mean righteousness. That's their primary meaning. I'll show you in, in uh, a little bit how I get to that conclusion. Uh, dune, if you remember, was a word we looked at in the Old Testament as the, the third. There was Mishpah, Shepheth, I think, and then there was Dune. There was three versions of Dune. One of those was Aramaic, and they had to do uh, with books in the Bible that were written. Like, for instance, the one reference to Dune comes out of Esther. And so it was written during captivity, so there was a Mesopotamian or Babylonian influence on it. So usage in the King James, Mishpat is only translated as justice one time. It's in Job 36, 17. The other words, Sedek, 
is translated into justice ten times. Sadaka is translated 15, and Sadak is translated two times. So that explains why there's, if you add that up, it's supposed to equal 28. Uh, let's see, 10 and 15 is 25, 26, 27, and then there's one up there, the Job one, 28. I think my math's right. That was easier than the other one. Now, here's usage in the New American Standard. Mishpat is translated as justice 118 times. Whereas in the King James, it was only translated as justice one time. The other words, Sedek was translated three times in the New American Standard compared to 10 in the King James. Sedekwa or Ka was translated one time compared to 15 times in the King James. And I mistyped that. It's supposed to be a D and not a G. Sadak was translated two. The Dune is translated four different times. And the primary definition, if you remember, of Dune is judgment. And there was one weird one. You know how it bugs me when there's a word in italics in the New, <laughs> New American Standard? So there was one word added for clarity, and that word was justice. It doesn't have any relationship to the words in the text. So this is the biblical usage. And uh, obviously you've got 118 times there that is dramatically different than what it is in the King James where Mishpat is only used once. So we'll try to see it. Now here it is in the New Testament. The word DK is the primary word for three other words that are translated justice in the New Testament in certain places. Uh, and what DK means is what is just. It's the basic definition of it. Hence it's translated as justice in Acts 28.4. And if you remember the verse in Acts 28.4, which... I'd be surprised if any of us did. I do because I just looked it up today. It's when they uh, uh, Paul had washed ashore on the island, I think of Malta, and he was reaching in and a snake jumped out of the fire and bit him on the hand. And this is where the, the people that were watching said that justice wouldn't allow him to get on his journey. Then, of course, when he shook it off, they thought he was a god and stuff. The interesting corollary there is that there is a goddess of Greek origin, and her name is either Justice or Nemesis. Now, I think that's fascinating, that the goddess of what is just, naturally and, and understandably, the goddess of that is either called Justice or Nemesis. It shows that deep in our culture is a lie about the nature of justice that it's adversarial. And that's one of the things that I think we've got to think through as we try to understand justice from within our own culture because, because justice is quite adversarial. In our, you have an attorney for, you have an attorney against, when we talk about our judicial. And I think that we have a tendency to impose the adversarial nature of justice in our culture on God. And... It, it, it needs to be addressed because our God is spirit, fire, light, love, 
and love. And so I don't think there's as much a room for an adversarial image of his justice. And if I think back to our definitions, Jesus or Jesus getting what he deserves or fair play or something like that, the adversarial nature, in my opinion, stands in the way of us being able to understand God's justice. Okay? Dikaios primarily means righteousness. What I mean by that is 45 out of the 79 times. Now I'm doing, now this is the Englishman's concordance where I'm doing those particular Greek words. Remember? Yeah. See? All right, so 45 out of the 79 times it's translated righteousness. 31 times it's translated just. Now you can see the corollary there. Because to behave, to be a person that is just is to be a person that is righteous, doing right, in the right. So there's there's definitely a corollary there. Uh, the word meet is like right for. That's it's used two times. Justice is translated once in Colossians four one. I, I don't know what that is. I'll read it later. Uh, Dikaiosune is a really interesting one. Now remember what I said when I thought it was fascinating that our secular definition with Merriam-Webster had one whole point of reference as righteousness? That's really, I think that's amazing. Dikaiosune uh, means righteousness, although there's a couple interesting variants. 90 out of 92 times, it's used in the New Testament almost everywhere, depending on whatever your translation is, it's, it's uh, translated righteousness. One time is translated alms. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard that thing where uh, Jesus said, and it's translated, uh, let, do your righteousness uh, not before men, that kind of thing. It's, it's alms. It's, it's, that's where the word alms come from in that. And then one definition is let him be righteous. Um, he was righteous, let him be righteous still kind of thing. Now, N.T. Wright translates Dikaiosune, and this, this is what gets him in trouble with a lot of uh, other theologians and so on. But I understand his logic in it. We've talked about it. Uh, he translates this as the covenant justice when it's applied to God. So it's not an abstract righteousness that N.T. That Wright is trying to assign to God, that God is righteous because he's God. No, God is righteous because he's faithful to the covenant. And um, anyway, so that that idea of covenant justice uh, when it's applied to righteousness is relative to God and his covenant with us. Okay, then D-I-K-O, and you can see how these words are related, right? Uh, it primarily means justified and is translated such 30 out of 39 times. Justify, four times. Justifieth, two times. And a quote from the Old Testament, I thought that was weird they did that. Justifier is once. And then as God's justice is translated one time in Luke 7.29. So, uh, of all of these words right here, you get one, two, three translated justice out of the nine that are in the New American Standard. Oddly enough, do you remember this word, creases? It's one of the fundamental, simple words to understand that means judgment. It's translated four times in the New American Standard. as it, Now remember, King James doesn't have justice at all in the New Testament. Not one word translated. New American Standard translates those four passages of Scripture as justice. 
And if you go back and read them, which you might do, because we're moving along pretty good here. If you go back and read them, uh, you could read judgment in them, and the scripture would make exactly the admonition, and the Lord would make exactly the same sense. And then the last one is a, a new word, and justice is translated two times, both in uh, consecutive verses there in Luke 18, 7, and 8. And it, it, uh, the, the primary definition of uh, etikasis means to vindicate or to avenge. Okay, so here is the scripture that I want us to consider that I think can bring some light to thinking about just and justice like God does and not necessarily like we do. However, I know I'm kind of speeding ahead because I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm pretty positive I've done nothing to try to dislodge what you already believe justice is supposed to be. And I don't know really, I don't know what to do about that. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't only count it as success if I make you change your mind. But I do believe that, that uh, the adversarial nature of justice, the uh, non-relational nature of justice, where it's justice is like a third-party abstract that the judge has to honor, that the people are supposed to honor, the police are supposed to honor, all that kind of stuff in our culture. We've pushed judgment away from a relational component with the Lord. And we've separated justice from justness. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's kind of a confusing word for us. So, this is a verse that I think ties the two concepts together and wraps them around God pretty well. And then we'll have some conversation about it. Because uh, I think I've only got one more slide here. All right, so, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, all of us know that that verse is quoted in isolation as if it was a complete sentence and a standalone verse all the time. It isn't. It's, it's part of a larger sentence. Uh, and it's the, it's the sentence about the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Now keep that in mind. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance or the patience or the waiting of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that... He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And just and justifier are both those words that are up there that we looked at in the New Testament. So what it's saying there is that there was a purpose in the heart of God where he forbear, he passed over sins previously committed for the sake of demonstrating his righteousness in this present moment, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, 
if we were to read from George MacDonald's Sermon on Justice, he would, he would do his question and, and answer, like antagonistic question answer kind of thing that he does on some of his messages. And, and, and he would set up the belief that we have that, uh, like for instance, let's say, how many of you have heard that God has to punish sin? A lot of people say that. Does God have to punish sin? No. He could destroy the sinner. Or he could leave the sinner to his sin, and the sin would destroy the sinner. There's not a moral obligation outside who God is to punish sin. He doesn't owe that to anyone. That's the nature of being God. You don't have people twisting your arm, forcing you to do things. So the implications of that about justice are kind of a big deal. Because to look at justice and then attach it to God as if it's an obligation for him is probably to see it incorrectly. If anything, justice flows out of him because he is just. It's not, as Dave pointed out, a reaction And this certainly wasn't a reaction. This was an intentional forbearance of sins committed in the past so that he could be demonstrated as being, in the present time, both just and the justifier. So, does that make sense a little bit? There's another lesson here, and we'll have time to talk about it. There's another lesson, and that is the fact that these words just and justifier are very intrinsic to our understanding, an accurate understanding of justice. And so, what, how would you, I would define that God is a justifier, is that He takes me and puts me in the right when I'm in the wrong. He's justifying me. And if you go to the, the doctrine of justification, uh, that is essentially what it says, only depending on the, the theological camp you're in, it's an imputed sort of thing. In other words, you're not really made right, but you're given the benefit of Jesus being in the right. The problem with that is it doesn't change us. It doesn't create uh, a situation of righteousness in our life where we can stand before the Lord and not be ashamed or not be you know, shown to be something other than what we need to be to be in his presence, to be in heaven. Um, One of the other aspects about this idea of righteousness being intrinsic with the idea of justice, just and justifier, is what is the nature of the new Jerusalem as it's described in the book of Revelation? Do you remember? It is a place where righteousness dwells. Righteousness is is right standing. Righteousness is being in the right. Righteousness is being complete. There is a righteousness of God. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's God's own righteousness. It's God's perfection. It's God's correspondence with what is good and what is true that justice is about. And it's about it in us. And so the act of him being a justifier is him taking his righteousness and making us correspond with that somehow. 
Now, we can talk about penal substitution, we can talk about other kinds of things, we probably should, because that's one of the things that I think hinders our ability to really understand that justice flows literally out of the presence of God, out of our relationship with Him. That Jesus is justice. I think that's that's good. It's probably a little deep to try to build the whole idea around without thinking about it, but I think that that's really, really true. And then Jesus getting what he deserved. I mean, it was for justice's sake that he endured the cross in a way. I, I mean, the scripture doesn't say that, but we need to understand that that's it, you know, same as it's for judgment's sake. So anyway, um, I think this verse is is pretty... It points us at least at the heart of being in the right direction. That God is just and that he has proven to be just not because he walks in perfect righteousness, although he does and is. It says here he's just because he forbear sins that were committed in the past. That doesn't sound like justice, does it? Forgiveness doesn't sound like justice. Not really. Not if you think that justice is best uh, balancing the scales of crime or injustice or something like that. But this idea is wrapped up in him being a justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. He's making us right, making us just. And, and so I think that's what we got. So anyway... In that light, I was thinking about this, especially the George MacDonald part. His justice is the live, active justice, giving existence to the idea of justice in our minds and hearts. I think that that requires a rethinking of our sort of knee-jerk, and I'm not trying to belittle us for thinking that way, by using that word, but just our reactive. I think that's even a better word, Dave. Our reactive thought about justice. We assume, uh, we assume that justice is something we're talking about when we're talking about what people, when people get what they deserve. But it seems like what the Bible is talking about, about justice, is much more when Jesus gets what he deserves. Much more when, when I think your other definition, Kelsey, was when people are restored back to their God's original purpose, their created design. Oh, that was your, okay, yeah. That restoration process is an act of justice. And then, I don't have time to go through it tonight, but if you go back and you look at justice in the Old Testament, justice all the time, matter of fact, I've got this little thing I'm going to show you to kind of illustrate that without going too deep into it. So uh, sometimes word studies are easy, and sometimes they're a lot of work. This one happened to be a lot of work. And so you won't really be able to see this. but So this is uh, going through the uh, New American Standard use of justice in the Old Testament. And so this is the Mishpat, and it runs down and it's 118 times. So this is each of the scriptures, and I had to go in and look it against the, the Greek, or the Hebrew, I mean the Hebrew in that case. I had to go look against the Hebrew to see if it was Mishpah. But what I discovered is interesting, and I know this is way too small for you guys to see, 
but you can look at it afterwards. I'll leave it up here. There's about, there's over half, there's 60 of those references where the word judge or judgment, which is really the best word for it, is translated justice in the New American Standard. And the reason is because in all those places where there are those other references of 6666, 6664, 6662, it's paired in the verse against or compared with righteousness. So it felt, I could tell in the, in the New American Standard translators, they were thinking, well, justice sounds more like something that marries up well to judgment or to righteousness than justice does. How does justice and righteousness go together? But it, it obviously goes together because that's exactly what it says in Romans 3.26. That's the whole point of the, the argument up to that point in Romans. And so I, I just, I, I, I think about people, I think about how prominent a position justice plays in our expectations about God getting his way, God coming through, prophetic fulfillment, and, and more even so about um, the end times and what our expectations are about judgment and why hell is such a deeply entrenched thing, a lot of it is because they people feel like without that kind of adversarial and punishment-oriented judgment and justice, I mean, judgment and, and punishment, you're never going to have justice. But justice isn't primarily like that. Justice is, in the Scripture, primarily married to righteousness. It's married to transformation. Justice is, is married to the restoration of, of what our original sources were, the restoration, or like you said, Richard, deliverance from what stands between us and God. And, you know, tonight's just an introduction, but I thought, wow, the words we looked at for judgment and the words that, that uh, clearly mean righteousness are the words that the church has borrowed to explain justice. And then we wonder why we're confused. You know, we wonder why we're confused. Because the whole idea, the, the idea of, of uh, retributive justice, punishing justice, justice, even a little bit, uh, gen, the justice that, that brings into a reckoning, um, we have to be really careful if we see that as the desired end in itself of God. Um, but justice begins to inform some scriptures that are weird to us if we think about it as God trying to restore, trying to reinvite, trying to bring back in. Um, For God so loved his, uh, uh, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should have everlasting life. You know, uh, God didn't send his son in the world to judge this world. He looked at that with judgment, but that the world could be saved through him. And then if you keep reading, the whole thing points back again to judgment, even though there's a full acknowledgement of sin, a full acknowledgement of that. Uh, Jesus said in John 12, I didn't come to judge the cosmos, I came to save it. And if you listen to what I say and don't do it, I'm not going to judge you. The words are going to judge you. Another place that Jesus said weird is that uh, the Father judges no one. Why? Because he's not after judgment, he's after justice. And then, just to wrap it up tonight, um, 
if we really think through even what N.T. Wright says feels like justice, like that's not right, something needs to be done. You can take two people who have perpetrated a crime and one of those people just kind of, the best evidence if you could see their whole life was that they liked the idea of having power over somebody. There wasn't really anything that caused that in them. They just liked it. And they liked taking advantage of people that were weak and they were charming and they could do it. And da, 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 da. You compare that to another person who was sexually abused when they were little. They were in, you know, locked in the, in the closet for days on end by creepy weird parents who probably came from a similar source. They both come out and they both do something of a similar crime. Is it justice that they both be treated the same? Something in me says no. You know, and I'm not like a weak kneed liberal or anything, but it just seems to me that mitigation is a real, a real fact. The, the mitigating circumstances that lead us to do the wrong thing. Whereas deliverance, if it's available for both of them, that seems more like justice. In one case, it may be hard. I mean, it may be impossible if somebody doesn't want it. I don't know how that works out. But do you see what I'm saying? I think justice needs something other than the balancing of the scales. Justice needs something other than a consensus reaction. Justice needs something other than the protection of society to define it, for us to understand it. It needs to link back up to the heart of the Father. And what our created and what each other's created destinies are. Um, and so I, it's not an easy topic, and I don't know how to close and commend it to you. I believe that if we look in more detail, which we will in some of these things, we're going to see that justice is justice is an ex, an extent an active living extension like. McDonald says, of the reconciling, redemptive heart of God. And that it's much more closely linked with restoration than it is, and reconciliation than it is um, balancing the ledger. So anyway, that thing I wanted to tell you about in, um, I've got it right down here, in the New Living Translation, the one that has the most uh, of all those things in it is there's a verse here it is so uh, so in the New Living Translation in 2 Thessalonians 1.5 which I, I can't find anybody else that translates justice this way but it says that God is going to use this persecution to show his justice, this persecution of you, to show his justice and to make you worthy of the kingdom. When I read that, I thought, wow, what a misunderstanding of justice. God is going to use this persecution that has come upon you, Thessalonians, to show his, to demonstrate, to show his justice and to, and this is literally how they translate it, to make you prepared to be in his kingdom. Now, I don't think that's a good translation. What, what I think is designed to make us prepared to be in the kingdom is the blood of Christ transforming us, forgiving us, 
in the love of God compelling us and constraining us. So if we're not careful, even in the sort of sacred realm of Bible translation, we can, uh, we can go the wrong direction. So any, any last comments, thoughts? Thank you.